What's happening in Tennessee could affect the whole nation. Stay tuned to find out more. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. We're going to cover some very important ground today, but let me give you our phone number, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. When I was in Tennessee a few weeks ago speaking at Pastor Stephen Berger's church, Grace Chapel in Franklin, Tennessee, dear brother, man of God, whom I deeply respect, when I was speaking there, I actually got to meet the governor of Tennessee, who's been a member of that church for many, many years, godly Christian man, now leading the state. And I also met, uh, before I left the next day, I met with one of our grads, one of our ministry school grads, who's working with an organization. It's it's a new family organization, uh, Family Action Council of Tennessee, FACT, that is working on some major cases, a pro-life case and a case that would seek to overthrow the same-sex same sex marriage ruling of the Supreme Court in 2015. Uh, I thought it was important enough that we actually devote some time to this on the radio, especially looking at the abortion case and the governor absolutely in on this and how this could potentially have a ripple effect on the nation or one of these cases that makes its way to the Supreme Court. The only problem is, as we are reaching out to our guest, we're not getting anyone right now. So I'm looking at one of a few possibilities. Possibility number one is that there's a time zone error, that there was not a realization that we are one hour different in time. And when we said three o'clock our time, that they put it down as two o'clock their time. That's one possibility. Now, the possibilities, there's just a mix-up in communication, and they had it down for the wrong date. Now, the possibility is that an emergency took place. You say, well, what if there was a pre-trib rapture and he was taken? If there's a pre-trib rapture, I'd be taken, you'd be taken too. So that's not a possibility in terms of what happened with the interview. But right now, I'm looking at a blank screen, which means that this entire time that I had set aside for our guest, it looks like... This will not be happening right now. So, Howard, don't worry about uh, continuing to try to call our guest. We'll have to reschedule unless they get back to us in the next few minutes. But here's what this means. It means our phone lines are wide open, and I think I'm going to do something. So, Howard, brace yourself. But I, I feel like giving away a copy of my Jezebel book, Jezebel's War with America, the plot to destroy our nation and what we can do to turn the tide. And we lay out the clear and indisputable evidence that there are demonic forces at work to destroy our nation. You say, well, it's the revelation. Satan's trying to destroy everybody. Yeah, agreed. But sometimes he works in certain ways. And the same demonic forces that work through Queen Jezebel 3,000 years ago, the same demonic forces that intimidate with fear, that kill, that, that kill from the, the unborn to the prophets, 
these same demonic forces that associate with sexual immorality and witchcraft and idolatry and emasculate men, they are at work in America today. And we must confront what's going on. We must understand what's going on. We must recognize that it is a spiritual battle. That's why I'm not mad at people. Yeah, there are people doing wrong things and stupid things and ugly things and destructive things, but I'm the people are also victims. Yeah, they're guilty and they're responsible, but the devil wants to destroy them too, all right? Yes, they are responsible for their actions, but the devil is out to destroy humanity, all right? We understand that. So I'm, I'm looking at this not primarily fighting people, but demonic forces. Okay, uh, caller number six. You get a free copy, hardcover, beautiful book, Jezebel's War with America, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. Caller number six, you get a free copy of the book. Okay, so let me move on to some other issues. Uh, in Jezebel's War with America, I, I noted that there are comparisons that some have made, like Jonathan Kahn uh, in, his, in one of his recent books, or Joel Pollock, an editor, Orthodox Jewish editor at Breitbart, all right, that uh, they made a comparison between Donald Trump and Jehu, all right? A comparison between Donald Trump and Jehu. Jehu, as you know, in the Bible, we, we do have a, a winner. Uh, thank you. Thank you for flooding our, our line. <laughs> it's always fun. It always blesses me to, to just see all the phone lines light up. So I'm so glad you're out there listening. All right. And we'll, we'll do this again in a little while. Okay. But yes, we have a winner. So they made these comparisons between Donald Trump and Jehu. Now, now please understand this. It's just a comparison. Have, have you ever likened yourself to say Peter in the Gospels and how he could put his foot in his mouth and how he was a man of faith, but he can be impetuous and say something afterwards, think, oh, what did I just say? It's like, yeah, I can be like Peter. Or you ever said, yeah, I can be like Jacob in the Bible. I mean, he was a man of faith, but then he would connive and he would, you know, and he could go either way. And sometimes he believed God, then he'd twist to make something happen in the flesh and we could be like Jacob. All right. So in the same way, Trump has been likened to Jehu. Okay. Trump has been likened to Jehu. How so? Well, he was not himself from the royal line, so he's an outsider. So he's a political outsider. He's also someone that could be called reckless, right? The way it's described, reckless or driving like a maniac. That's how Jehu was described. So, of course, Trump has been described as, as reckless or, or like a maniac right, by his critics. And then Jehu was really zealous for good, Jehu really stood for righteous causes and was zealous for the worship of Yahweh, which was unique for a king of Israel, and wanted to wipe out the worship of Baal, the Baal worship that was in the country. Wanted to wipe that out at any cost. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. All right? So he, he was absolutely about doing that. At the same time, he was like a bull in a china shop. There was a lot of collateral damage yeah, so he did a lot of good, but there was a lot of collateral damage. And he was, he was even supported by uh, Jonadab of the, the Rechabites, who was a godly man who's been likened to a, a Mike Pence kind of guy, you know, this godly, respected man who's now working with him. But what's interesting is that Jehu is the one that comes into final conflict with Jezebel in the Bible, 
All right. And she's still seductress and kind of talking down to him when they meet. But then he says, who's on my side? He doesn't bow down to her. He's not seduced by her. He's not intimidated by her. Who's on my side? And says two or three eunuchs. These are castrated males. They cast her down and she dies. Now, I'm not calling a person Jezebel. All right. I'm not looking at a person saying you're Jezebel and you should die. No, no, no. And I'm not looking at godly, strong women that maybe threaten male authority a little bit and saying, you're Jezebel, you're Jezebel. No, I'm, I'm not saying any of that, to be perfectly clear, okay? To be perfectly clear. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that the same demonic forces that work through Jezebel are at work today. And a figure like Donald Trump is going to bring them out of the woodwork. They're just going to come out of the woodwork. And, and that's why you see the ferocity of the opposition to Trump. Yeah, part of it is because of who he is. And that, that, that produces opposition. And part of it is because of the things he's standing for. And, and that's, that's producing demonic opposition. So the witches hexing him and the radical feminists coming against him and all of this, it's, it's demonic. And, and a Trump-type figure brings the Jezebels out of the closet, it, it, right out, boom, public, clear, indisputable. So, again, whether you voted for the president or not, I think you can see this. I think you can understand what we're talking about, the spiritual dynamic. And, and here's what's fascinating, and I talk about this at the end of Jezebel's War with America. And by the way, I have good news for you. If you didn't win a book, it's not a problem because you're allowed to buy it. Yeah, you're allowed. If you're, but I want that book. You're allowed to buy it. It's okay. You're permitted to. I know not everybody has an extra ten, fifteen dollars, whatever it's, it's selling for online right now. You know, reduced prices on online. I, I understand that everyone can afford it. So we'll give away some more just to to say thank you for being faithful listeners and viewers and being with us over the over the years here on the line of fire. But go ahead if you really want the book. You are allowed to to buy it. There you go. And it's on Audible, right? So you can listen to it. And ebooks, so Kindle and, and, and the others, uh, ebooks. And by the way, if you don't have a Kindle reader, you say, yeah, but I don't, I don't use Kindle books. I, I don't buy from Amazon. It's not a problem. You just go to, just download the Kindle app on your phone, all right, on your computer, and you can read Kindle books, Kindle ebooks. And the same with Barnes and Noble. They have an app with, with their, with Nook books. You can do that as well. Okay. And I think Christian Book has an app for ebooks as well. In any case, in any case, in Jezebel's War with America, I make this point emphatically. I make this point emphatically that the castrated males, the men who've lost their sense of, of spiritual authority, the men who, who no longer lead in a godly way. I'm not talking about domineering. I'm not talking about some carnal machismo. I'm not talking about abusing women. God forbid godly men will protect women and cherish women and honor women and esteem women. Absolutely. All right. But the key thing is this, that the men who have been spiritually castrated, the men who have been emasculated, the men who are like eunuchs today, they don't walk in authority. They don't walk in that supernatural faith. They, and, and to the godly women that you've been cut down that you're unable to stand and, and walk in the position that God's called you to walk in, all right? To all of you, I say it's time to rise up and cast Jezebel down. It's time to say, I will not be intimidated by fear any longer. And in Jezebel's War with America, I explain it's a spiritual force. It's not just a matter of convincing your, yourself. It's about getting God's truth in your heart and your mind, not just getting psyched 
but getting God's truth in your heart and in your mind. And as you do, a spirit of faith that God is with you, a spirit of faith that tells you who you are in the Lord, that will strengthen you, that that will enable you, that will encourage you. And then based on that, in Jesus' name, you can cast Jezebel down, just as those two or three eunuchs did in Second Kings, the ninth chapter. Again, we cover that in Jezebel's war with America. All right, phone lines are open for your calls and questions. 866-348-7884. You know what? Tell you what I'm going to do. Tell you what I'm going to do. If you call with a good question today and I can get your call, I'll give you a free Jezebel book. How do you like that? So you got to work. Got to come up with a good question. 866-34-TRUTH. If we get to you on the air, you get a book. What do you think of that? It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Ah, all right. Well, David Fowler is with us. So I I will keep my promise a little later in the broadcast and get to other calls. Uh, David, our guest today, got tied up in a meeting, but he is now with us from the Family Action Council of Tennessee. So, so glad to bring you on the air. David, welcome to the Line of Fire. Well, well, well thank you. I, I, I feel like I've been in the Line of Fire for a long time, just not on your radio show. But, ah, uh, yes, sir. Anyway, with, with all these 20 years in politics, and actually the, uh, the meeting that ran long was with uh, a minister who is, um, who is being a uh, part of the effort here that that is taking place in Tennessee to address the Supreme Court's decision about same-sex marriage from back in 2015, a case called Obergefell versus Hodges. People may not remember the name of the case, but uh, they, they may be aware that the, the Supreme Court uh, said that state laws that limit the issuance of marriage licenses to a man and a woman are unconstitutional, and that a uh, same-sex couple has a right to marry under the 14th Amendment. And uh, we have uh, been laboring over that for the last four years and now have an initiative here uh, called God-Given Marriage that uh, is is taking that holding to task, so to speak, and exploiting the, the limits of the judicial power, the limits of what the court said, in an effort to... Uh, bring the issue of marriage back before the United States Supreme Court. And I appreciate you giving us a chance to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So first, what's the best website for folks to go to to find out more about this? Sure. Uh, if they go to godgivenmarriage.com, no, no uh, hyphens, no periods, no slashes, just godgivenmarriage.com. And um, the... The website is really not designed to be overly specific to Tennessee. So your listeners can get the gist of what we're doing without saying, well, that just applies to, to, to Tennessee. Uh, there's actually a strong theological component on why, as Christians, we, we can't just let this issue go, because 
Bob and Fred down the street are a real nice couple, and they take the garbage cans back on Thursday evenings, uh, you know, and put them away, and poop scoop their dog, and, and uh, you know, those kinds of things. But there's, there's fundamental things here at, at, at stake with what the Supreme Court has, has done. And uh, they'll see our proposed solution, legislative solution. Uh, they'll understand the legal limitations of the Obergefell case. And everything that we're actually doing here can be done in any other state. Uh, there's nothing we're doing that, that is overly unique uh, to Tennessee that, that it couldn't be followed in other states, which I, I hope will encourage your listeners to check in and begin asking some questions. Why, why aren't we doing it in this state? Why are we just sitting here doing what we're doing? And so, uh, so thank so, you. So in short, yeah, in, in short, the 2015 yeah. decision was not only ungodly and not only an overreach, but in your right. judgment, in violation of state rights or state constitutions and state after state in America, and therefore there can be pushback based on that, correct? Sure. Sure. The, a number of things here, and this is not just uh, little David Fowler's opinion and who in the world is he. We, we have uh, working with us in this and written written opinions, actually an affidavit from a law professor that, that's been teaching constitutional law at Notre Dame for 27 years. He's been teaching the Obergefell case and what, what it does and doesn't do for the last four years at Notre Dame. We have uh, uh, a law professor, John Eastman, who put for Clarence Thomas and here's the uh, separation of powers and federalism committee at the Federalist Society. So these, these are not lightweight people that we're, we're talking with. And and what they've said that we've forgotten is that we've, we've bought into this notion of judicial supremacy, that when the Supreme Court issues a ruling between particular private parties in a dispute between them, that, that their opinion becomes the Constitution and becomes the supreme law of the country. And that's that's just not true. The Supreme Court has actually said, as recently as uh, 2000, the opinions of the court don't make what the Constitution uh, aren't the Constitution. The Constitution says what the Constitution says, and and the supremacy clause applies to the Constitution, the laws of Congress, and treaties. That's it. No way is it saying about court opinion. And and so what what the court did is they said. Well, a same-sex couple has a right to marry as a part of the liberty that's guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Now, you and I would sit here and say, you could read anything into the word liberty if you wanted to. Marriage is just not a 14th Amendment federal constitutional thing. It's a state issue. Uh, and, and while the state handling of marriage is subject to the United States Constitution, the U.S. Constitution itself doesn't grant any right to marry. But if it does, here's one of the issues, for instance, that Professor Eastman talks about. Marriage is now a federal issue. And all of my law professors, I've got two others working with them, um, that all say, if that's the case, then the state has no more control over incest, no more control over polygamy, it has no more control over anything. It really has no more control over divorce, because if if the power to define marriage now rests in the U.S. Constitution and the Supreme Court, then everything to do with marriage and everything arising out of marriage is also now a federal issue. Mm. That's what the Supreme Court had said before. Marriage isn't a federal issue. It's a state issue. That's why they don't hear divorce cases 
even when the parties live in different states and millions of dollars are involved. They say, we don't have jurisdiction over divorce and child support and custody because we don't have jurisdiction over marriage. It's just a state issue. Well, you've now federalized it, and that means that you can't make me issue a marriage license to effectuate federal government policy. And that's not a strange idea. We've had sheriffs through the federal government over the Brady Law saying you can't commandeer my sheriffs into effectually running the federal government's policies regarding uh, guns. You can't control my Department of Environment. Do it yourself through your own Department of Environment. Well, if marriage is now a 14th Amendment right, well, by golly, go ask Congress or go ask the Supreme Court how you get married. And see, people forgot the court did not say how you they just said you had a right to marry, but they never explained to anybody how to do it. And states just went out and willy-nilly started saying, oh, well, okay, I guess I better start issuing a license for this. And the point is, our law in Tennessee, as most laws, says the only people who can get a license are a man and a woman. We've never passed a law that says you can get a license for a marriage regardless of sex. Nobody's been authorized to do that yet. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court can't tell my local official what it must do because my state gets to tell what my officials must do. So we've jumped over that hurdle. This is the same as if the Supreme Court said the sheriff and, you know, the, the, the Department of Motor Vehicles that has to issue handgun carry permits because there's a right to carry a gun. Well, who are they to tell the state who must issue handgun carry permits, even if you have a constitutional right to one? That's not the Supreme Court's job. That's my state's job. We've never authorized anybody to issue a license for a marriage defined without regard to sex. So we just skipped over all these important issues, and these professors are saying, why aren't these states raising these issues? Mm. My state constitution says, for example, I cannot license a marriage except between a man and a woman. Okay? That, That statement in my state constitution has never been enjoined by a court. Never. So why is my state ignoring it as if it was actually repealed or enjoined? That's lawlessness, Michael. And she said, well, I, I bet we would lose, so let's just not even worry about it. We'll just pretend it doesn't exist. Well, what's the next law we're going to do? We used to get mad at Obama for not enforcing laws, right? Well, our whole state is doing it. 30-something states are doing it because they all had constitutional amendments, and they're all just ignoring them. The only courts that went to the Supreme Court states were Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Those are the only ones that were subject to Supreme Court judgment. And in my state, the court did not, expressly did not, enjoin the provisions of our Constitution that apply to licenses. We're just ignoring it. Just ignoring it. And then the other issue, and this is why I was talking to pastors, pastors are signing certificates of marriage that define marriage contrary to God's law. And they've never thought about it. Because, the man, because they have a man and a woman in front of them, they think, I'm marrying a man and a woman. Well, that's what you're doing uh, existentially. But as a matter of law, that's irrelevant. You are signing your name to a document that says marriage in Tennessee, the marriage that you are performing as a designated official of the state, deputized by the state, is defined without regard to sex. And you're signing as a minister and saying, yep, that's okay, that's what I'm doing. Well, then you're going to get up in your pulpit and preach marriages between a man and a woman, and this is an ungodly decision, and then you're going to go sign a document that essentially has a bunch of whereas clauses in front of it that says, 
whereas marriage is a creation of the state, whereas marriage is defined without regard to two people, will you marry them? And I'll say, yeah, I'm sure I'll do it. And I'm going to get up and preach against it on Sunday morning. That's what's going on all around the country. And, and, and so in Tennessee, we said, we should just stop doing that. We're going to get some ministers. We're going to sue. We're going to argue that it violates the freedom of free exercise clause. It violates the rights of conscience under the state constitution. It violates freedom of speech to compel me to sign a document that makes a statement about marriage that I cannot make as a minister of God. And with, with that, I've got to jump in. Friends, we're out of time. GodGivenMarriage.com. I'd actually wanted to talk about the abortion case, uh, but we didn't get to that. Uh, David, sorry you got tied up earlier. Glad we got a few minutes with you. And again, some important pro-life issues going on. I actually wanted to get to that. Ran out of time. All right. Thank you, sir, for the call. I appreciate it. All right, friends, I'm giving away Jezebel books, but you got to work for it. You call in with a good question, 866-34-TRUTH, and you get a free copy of Jezebel's War with America sent out to you. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, so something interesting happened on the broadcast earlier today, and you are going to be a direct recipient of the blessing that has ensued. I had a guest scheduled to come on right at the beginning of the broadcast, so 3.03 Eastern Standard Time, and guest was tied up in a meeting, was not able to get on with us until about 15 minutes late, so I thought I was not going to have any guest at all. I was going to have him on the first half hour. So I decided, you know what, let me give away a free book, a free copy of Jezebel, Jezebel's War with America, and, you know, caller number, whatever it was. And, of course, phone lines were instantly flooded and gave the book away, then shared some things on my heart that were relevant. And I thought, you know what, tell you what, because I thought I was going to have no guest on at all and get to have a lot of extra time. And it turns out he called in late. We just finished our interview. So I said, you know what, why don't I, why don't I do this? I can't remember doing this. It's been maybe years but you call in with a good question. If I'm able to get to your call, all right, if I'm able to get to your call before we quit in 26 minutes, you get a free copy of Jezebel's War with America. It's hardcover. It's a beautiful book. And, and by God's grace, it's really taken off and made an impact. It's resonated when I've shared the message, dramatically so. I shared it in September with over 8,000 people thereabouts in Pensacola and literally signed books for the next two and a half hours, which to me is an incredible honor to be able to, to do that. The book sold out first printing the first week, which we've never had happen. So there's real interest in it, but in the holiday spirit. So of course, get if you don't have a copy yet, get it. Jezebel's War with America, available at your bookstores, available on our website or any of the online book dealers. And if you've read and it's blessed you, post a review at Amazon, Amazon Amazon.com. Regardless of where you bought it, post a review there. If you read the book and it blessed you, encourage others in doing so. But if you call in with a good question and we get to your question before 4 o'clock today, I get to your call, you get a free copy of the book. All right? So we start in Idaho. Jay, welcome to the Line of Fire. And thank you very much for taking my call, sir. Sure thing. Um, so I wanted to um, lay a, a small foundation for my question really quick um, because I, I, I'm asking you a question that's theoretical, and so I want to found it on what's not theoretical first. Yeah, sure. Um, 
I do want to briefly point out that I am with you in fighting against the anti-Semites who take no hide laws to mean what they don't. And mm-hmm. I also want to point out my personal bias that I believe that the Vatican is the seat of the Antichrist. And this will all make sense when I ask my question here. Okay, um, got it. So recently we've seen on the Vatican side of politics, I guess you could call it, um, acceptance of Pachamama, the Incan goddess, at their St. Peter's Basilica, and uh, dedication of a Mormon temple in Rome in March early this year, uh, meeting with the World Council of Churches on their 70th year anniversary, and a whole bunch of other ecumenical kinds of things, uh, signing documents with the Islamic Brotherhood, things like that, right? Yep. And yep. most importantly, a uh, something this uh, deal that they signed with China that essentially legitimized the Catholic Church in China so long as the Chinese Communist Party could appoint certain political leaders and things like that, or church leaders, rather. Uh, then on the Israeli side, we've seen huge political turmoil, uh, the ultra-Orthodox becoming kind of resurgent in an incredibly fast way in their power, and people even starting to not only protest so that we can you know, have prayers on the Temple Mount and things like that, but even starting to have, you know, trying to put up a new Sanhedrin and sacrifice names at Passover and all this other kind of stuff. And, of course, there's been a talk between you and Smith and all these people about Noahide laws. So my question, having laid down those things as, you know, what we know that's not theoretical, do you ever worry about a Vatican-Israeli deal similar to the one, similar to the Vatican-Sino agreement or Sino-Vatican agreement that they signed in China, where they essentially legitimize persecution against Christians that don't actually follow the confirmed church, which in China is now the Catholic Church. It's a great question, and it's a literate question. You gave the background to it. Uh, and the first, the first response is, no, I, I never worry about that. I never think about that, because for Israel and the Vatican to work together in a way that ends up persecuting Christians without also being part of turning against the Jewish people. That's an unlikely scenario to me. I see in Zechariah 12 and 14, all nations coming up against Jerusalem. So I I do see a world attack against Israel at at the end. And if there is a specific Antichrist figure that we're talking about, which I believe there will be, it's going to be an all-out attack on, on all followers of Jesus around the world. And whether the Vatican is part of that, whether the Vatican is part of the apostate church that persecutes uh, true Christians, it will also be standing against Israel at the same time. In other words, the Reformation idea that the Vatican is the Antichrist or the Pope is the Antichrist, and you're saying it's the seat of the Antichrist, if that were true, that would also mean turning against the Jewish people, turning against Israel, trying to destroy Israel. It's part of what the Antichrist will do rather than working with so on that level, no, I'm not concerned about it. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it uh, in terms of this alleged conspiracy between the Vatican and Israel that will ultimately persecute Christians. At the same time, I absolutely am concerned about a false ecumenical spirit, not the unity within the body that Jesus prayed for, but a unity that is based on falsehood, that is based on compromise. And to the extent the Vatican goes in that direction, could the Vatican persecute true Christians? Sure. But, but listen, if you go to Latin America, you'll find that much of the persecution against evangelical Christians there is from very, very traditional Catholics. 
the same thing, opposition in, in Italy to evangelicals has come from very, very traditional Catholics, and the very, very traditional Catholics don't like the ecumenical agreements. So I have no problem seeing a scenario which either a liberal Catholic church or a very traditional Catholic church could persecute true followers of Jesus. That's easy for me to see. To see it done in conjunction with Orthodox Jews in Israel without ultimately turning against those Jews, that part I don't see. Does that make sense to you? Uh, certainly. Um, if I could, with just a brief follow-up, would it by chance be possible, at least in your own opinion, of course, that both and would be the case? In, in other words, that maybe yeah, the I, Vatican I, might be... I, I, I understand the both. Hey, look, deception is deceiving, right? And to the degree that we come into end-time deception under an Antichrist figure, I say we, I mean the world. Yeah, it's going to be very deceiving and very misleading. And and who knows how far it will go. So, yeah, in that case, anything is possible because deception is very deceiving. And people that would never work together could work together. However, to me, the focus is absolutely not on Noahide laws, and I'm glad you didn't make that a focus, sir. To me, the focus is that at the end of the age, whatever persecution opposition we're facing now will intensify, and it is going to be the spirit of Antichrist that we'll ultimately be fighting against, and that's what we need to be on guard for. But, Jay, thank you for the question and the background to it. I appreciate it. And to my brothers and sisters who are in the Catholic Church, let us stand against untruth and for truth. We should be able to agree on that. All right, uh, we get to your call today. You got a good question for us? Now, by the way, I'm not going to tell you your question is lame if you ask me a question. But don't just call and say, is the sky blue? Uh, okay? All right, is, is the sun bigger than the moon? Don't call with a question like that to get a free book. Just come up with a question. 866-348-7884. We get to your call, you get a free book. That also means that if, if Howard has not already gotten your name and address that when we're done, you'll stay on hold, he'll get your name and address, and we'll send you the book. All right, we go to Raleigh, North Carolina. Loretta, welcome to the Line of Fire. Well, thank you. Great talking to you, Dr. Brown. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm great. Now, that wasn't my question. Okay, all right, all right. Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) My question is, could you please define separation of church and state. Yes. Not so, as you see it, but as it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so as I understand it, all right, as I understand it, the initial intent of separation of church and state, which of course is not in the Constitution and, and comes initially from a letter that Thomas Jefferson had written to Baptists who had questions about the state's authority. As I understand it, The purpose of the separation of church and state was twofold. It was to prevent the creation of a state religion. So you had the Church of England in England. You were not going to have the Church of America where this was the state religion. And the state could not then interfere in the religious matters of the the different states and communities and things like that. As Yale Law Professor Stephen Carter said, it was to prevent the state from interfering with the church. It was never to say that you can't declare this is a day of prayer and thanksgiving. It was not to say that you could not have Christian values embedded in your constitution or 
that you could speak of Christianity as being the primary religion practiced by Americans. That was never the issue. The issue was not that you could not have the, the Ten Commandments in a government building. The issue was that you would not have a state-imposed religion for the whole nation, A, and B, that the state could not interfere with the religious practices of individuals and communities. So it got basically turned on its head when the Supreme Court ruling, what, 60, 70 years ago came forward. It had no legal precedent. There, you did not have previous court decisions going in the same direction. It was, it was definitely a new step that was taken by the justices, and that's why it's been so used to try to keep anything Christian out of, of the state. Look, when these concepts were coming forward, the Bible was the most commonly used textbook in children's schools. And, and, and you'd learn your ABCs with A stands for all have sinned and B, believe in the Lord Jesus. I documented this in my book, Saving a Sick America, in detail. In fact, Loretta, your choice, would you like a copy of Saving a Sick America, where I document this, or Jezebel's War with America? Your choice. Um, mm. Well, I'll, I'll take the first one. I'll take Save, the Saving, saving a Sick saving America. America. Saving a there, Sick America. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Howard, we just complicated things for you. Loretta gets a free copy of Saving a Sick America. So when you get her email, when you get her physical address, just when you email us the details, sir, just make sure you put that in. Loretta gets a copy of Saving a Sick America. Okay, we'll be right back and take more of your calls. Everybody else, you get a free copy of Jezebel's War with America if we get to your call. 866-34-TRUTH. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us, 866-34-TRUTH. I encourage you again, if you don't have Jezebel's War with America, you'll find it relevant to the news basically every day, every day, eye-opening, and then you'll be spiritually equipped to do effective warfare and to see victory and change starting in your own life. The spiritual battle is intense, though. It is intense. We overcome in Jesus, but let's not underestimate the spiritual forces we are up against. All right, next, Zach in Gastonia, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, my question is real simple. It's kind of elementary, I guess, the most. Um, but being Christian most of my whole life, following Jesus, I, I find myself being confused about this uh, certain question. Uh, when you pray, do you pray directly to the Father, or can you pray to Jesus? Like, I, I just find myself confused sometimes, and I'm just kind of like, oh, I just, you know, I left... I left Jesus out, you know, I got to, you know, you know what I mean? So that's kind of like what my question is. <laughs> yeah, so first, when you're praying to God, you never leave Jesus out, okay? Even if you're not directly addressing him, when you're praying to God, you're doing that because of Jesus. You're doing that through what he did on the cross. You're doing that through the forgiveness of sins that you have 
and he's the one that's, that's given you access into the presence of God. So in that sense, he's always included. And then we're praying in his name. So we're coming to the Father through what he did. So two answers to your question. The normal way that we're instructed to pray over and over is to the Father, right? That's the normal way. And, and that's how God wants us to relate to him as Father. He wants us to look to him as the source of all things, as the one that we can trust and lean on. In Ephesians 3, Paul speaks of bowing the knee to the Father from whom all fatherhood derives. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 tells us to pray our Father. And, and that is the normal way that we pray. Uh, Galatians 4, Romans 8, God's put the spirit of his Son into our hearts by, by which we pray, Abba, Father. So in this deep intimacy through what the Son has done, and we pray in the name of Jesus, in Yeshua's name. So that's the normal way that we pray and the way that we should relate to God. And it's wrong. I've heard people pray, Lord Jesus, my Father. No, that's, that's, God doesn't get upset about that, but that's not a biblical prayer. However, there are times when we pray directly to Jesus. You say, he determines that. Well, really, just what's going on in your heart. For example, as Stephen is stoned in Acts the seventh chapter, and as he's about to die, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Revelation 22 John, for the saints, says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, Maranatha, in Aramaic, Maranatha, that's a prayer to the Lord. O Lord, come. And then in John 14, very interesting in John 14, even as, as Jesus is teaching us to pray to the Father, right? Uh, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll, I'll do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he says in verse 14, if you ask me anything, that's how most manuscripts read, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So on the one hand, he's just talking in general about praying to God. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it, and praying to the Father. And yet, he is sanctioning prayer directly to him. So sometimes it's just it feels right to just say Jesus, just to cry out to him. Right. Or right. if you were in a time of crisis, Jesus, you know, that it's very natural to cry out and pray that way or to just want to, you know, Jesus, I'm just burdened. I just want to talk to you. That's perfectly fine. It's not like the father's like, why aren't they talking to me? We're talking about one God, right? <laughs> one God. Right. Exactly. So right. rather than be confused over it. And by the way, you are not the first and you won't be the last, but find liberty in it. Learn to relate to God as Father for all that it means and the security that it brings, on the one hand. But on the other hand, know that there are times when you just commune directly with Jesus. And what does it say in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that we have communion with the Holy Spirit. So there's this ongoing sense of fellowship with the Spirit, and we don't pray to the Spirit in uh, the New Testament. All right, Zach, stay there. And as soon as Howard is free, he will get your mailing address for a free copy of Jezebel's War with America. Uh, let's go over to New Jersey. John, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. I uh, just want to say thank you for taking my call. You're someone I really respect and admire. Um, well, thank you, sir. So my question is, uh, is praying in the Spirit biblical? Are there any verses that specifically back this up? Um, I know that John MacArthur states that uh, that, that gift has ceased. Um, so I just want to hear your opinion on that. I know you've spoken about it in the past, but... 
Uh, yeah, so yeah. You can clarify no, glad, for me. Glad to address it. So, again, let me address this in two ways, all right? Uh, let me address that in two ways. Number one, and, and just got to talk to our guys here. Howard, I'm not sure if you have Zach's address, but he's next. If you're getting everybody's address, then when we're done, we're done with the callers. Okay, sorry for any confusion there. All right, so, so uh, number one, John, we are called to pray in the Spirit. For example, Ephesians 6, Paul says that we should be praying in the Spirit on all occasions. All right, and, and, and in the book of Jude, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing, that the Bible tells us to pray in the Spirit. You say, well, does that necessarily mean praying in tongues? Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says when he's praying in tongues, he's praying with his Spirit, and, and he's speaking mysteries in the Spirit to God, all right? But his mind is unfruitful. So when he's praying in his native language or any of the languages that he understands, then his mind is fruitful. His mind is understanding. But otherwise, he's praying with his spirit and he's speaking mysteries in the spirit to God. So praying in the spirit, to me, absolutely includes praying in tongues. No question about it. Or Romans 8, groaning and travailing in the spirit. That's definitely praying in the spirit. It could also include being led by the Holy Spirit to pray in English. But certainly, praying in the spirit absolutely includes praying in tongues. You say, well, it ceased. No, nowhere does it say it ceased. To the contrary, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, don't forbid speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 13 says tongues will cease when the perfect comes, when we see God face to face and know him as we're known. So at the second coming, all right, it's an absolutely obscure, very, very limited, almost unheard of in church history interpretation that the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 means the completion of the New Testament canon. You can really throw that out as an unworthy interpretation that was unknown through much of church history and is quickly going out of style with solid biblical interpretation. So Paul explicitly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So I pray in the Spirit much. A good part of my prayer time as I'm meeting with God is praying in the Spirit. And as I pray in the Spirit, then my mind begins to reflect on biblical truths, and, and, and then I begin to get insight and revelation. And then often when I pray in English, my prayers are much, much more effective as I pray in English after praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. So absolutely, we're called to pray in the Spirit. Tongues is still for today. Therefore, praying in tongues is praying in the Spirit and is something that we should practice as God enables us to do so, 100%. All right, John. Stay right there, and Howard will get to you in a minute. Uh, Connor in Washington, thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, brother, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Hey, um, did I hear you last week state that you were working on a book um, about why Christians lose their faith? I'm not working on it. I'm about to. Yes. Oh, you're about to. Okay. I'm about to. Yes, yes, sir. Kind of regarding that, it's kind of something that fascinates me over the last uh, year and change. I've kind of been not studying, but just kind of praying about and looking around and and seeing. Um, And I was just wondering um, if if what you've seen similar to me um, in the fact of uh, one of the big reasons being a stringent, fundamental, um, almost an unlearnedness treating scripture as if it. teaches us every single thing about every single thing, and it's to be taken literal in every situation. Um, you know, kind of like the King James only, I feel like kind of fits into that almost, but it pushes away 
scholarship and um I don't know. I just I've seen that in my own life from some of my friends and, yeah. and people that I've grown up with that use no, that. It's, because it's, it's it's definitely an issue, Connor. That look, but I I saw it when I came to faith forty eight years ago. That if you have an environment where people can't ask questions, it's something I will definitely deal with uh, in in the book, which again I haven't started on yet, but but will be soon. That uh, for sure there there are people who have questions. I I can't reckon. I, you know. I, seems the Bible is contradicting what I learned here. And, and if you can't ask the question, if, if you know, you're wondering, okay, does, does the Bible contradict science or not? If you're not even allowed to ask the question and then have people say, great question, let's check that out. Let's, let's look. Let's look to see um, what information there is. Or, okay, you know, the flat earth stuff now. You know, does the Bible actually teach right. a flat earth? And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, do I have to believe that? Or, or look, even when we talk about sexual and moral ethics and why we oppose uh, same-sex relations and things like that, we have to be able to do it in an intelligent way. But rather than hit somebody over the head with the Bible or chastise them for asking a question, we say, that's a great question. Let's look at what the scriptures say. Well, but you say it's okay to eat pork, Pastor. You like shrimp and lobster, but you're, but that's in Leviticus too. And you're saying that it's abomination for two men to be together. Well, that's in Leviticus. Aren't you being contradictory? If, if we feel threatened by those questions, if we feel threatened by those questions, then big problem, big problem. Because we're, people are just going to think we don't have answers, or God must be the God of the Bible is a bigot, or our faith is wrong, or something. And, and because of that, people will just walk away. So, yeah, it's a big issue. Have an environment where people can ask good questions and where you search and get good answers together because God's Word tells the truth. All right, friends, we got a great interview tomorrow. You're going to love it. Trust me. <laughs> 